It's heavy petting every Wednesday, 10 to 11 a.m. with myself, Leanne Mull. Um, today we've got some tough stories to get through in the beginning of the show. Um, grit your teeth and take it all in. It's stuff that we do have to know and it's stuff that everyone's been talking about, specifically in Gauteng. It's a, a second giraffe which has died in the entire giraffe saga. Um, it's not the one that was on the carriage but uh, or in, in the crate. It was one that was captured before and was meant to be on the crate. So we've got in Ainsley Hay, who's the manager of wildlife protection at the NSPCA, about this and also another breaking story on a big wildlife blunder in uh, South Africa. Um, also later on, we've got exclusive to heavy petting, a chance to win a TW Steel Rhino Rage watch worth 6,000 Rand. I have been tweeting about it and uh, on Facebook. So if you want to take a look, it's Leanne Mole on Facebook and Twitter. That's L-E-I-G-H hyphen A-N-N on both of those. Um, and then uh, we've got a number for you to call if you'd like to think of anything you'd like to ask Ainsley about these horrific things that are happening right under our noses on 0861-555-189. And you can also message us on WeChat straight to the studio on the Cliff Central Channel, and uh, we'll pick that up here in studio. So let's get right into it. Animals in the news. Um, the big breaking story that uh, broke yesterday afternoon, um, I was luckily, lucky enough to speak to Ainsley Hay, who I've mentioned at, at the NSPCA, um, and it was revealed yesterday that an illegal shipment of eight Sitatunga antelope, which arrived in South Africa after a grueling journey by road and air from the Prague Zoo, via Frankfurt last Friday morning, have in fact been humanely euthanized and relieved of their suffering. The Sitatunga were destined for the ownership of the Johannesburg Zoo as well as a private individual. Now, let's see where things went wrong here and what exactly happened. Thank you very much, Ainsley, for joining me. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, so what's the story here with this um, Sitatunga antelope story? We're currently busy investigating it fully, but it really does look very suspicious. You know, these are... um big national zoos. Johannesburg Zoo is one of our biggest zoos. They transport animals all the time and they should really know what paperwork is required. It looks um, on face value that what has happened is there is a new disease outbreak in Europe which has actually prevented antelope being exported from Europe for quite a long time. And now apparently it looks like they may have released some these antelope to be released. But the problem is that the paperwork from the South African side wasn't in place. There wasn't an import permit, which looks like was the main problem. So these antelope arrived at OR Tambo and the discrepancy in paperwork was picked up. And due to the health, safety um, and disease introduction risk, from this particular disease, the Department of Agriculture State Vet Services actually um, declared that the animals were not allowed to be imported into the into the country, so they weren't allowed to come into South Africa. The first choice was for them to go back to Germany, and they tried to do that. Unfortunately, the German authorities refused to accept the animals. And I mean, the whole time now they're they're being transported in crates. In crates, and these are these are transport crates which are acceptable for small um, small periods of time. So these antelope can stand up and sit down. They can't turn around. And actually one of the most horrific things when we opened the boxes, there was a lot of blood inside the boxes. The animals had been injuring themselves and a lot of the male antelope, they've got such big horns that they couldn't actually get down to get to their water. So there were water bowls at the bottom of the crate, but they couldn't drink the water. And they had been in those boxes for four to five days. Four to five days. I mean, this isn't just a flight from Frankfurt to, or no. from Prague via Frankfurt to Johannesburg. No, and there were three border crossings that it looked like they went through in Europe before they were actually put on the flight in Fran- Frankfurt and sent here. They arrived here on Friday morning, mm. and unfortunately, 
Um, we were made aware of it, but we cannot open crates in the airport because of the disease risk. It's the, the state vet services who decide when animal, when crates can be opened, when animals can be examined. Obviously, we were pressurizing them very strongly to do it as soon as possible. Mm. Basically, the long and short of it, unfortunately, when Germany refused to um, receive these animals, the state vet services had to declare that these animals would be destroyed because the risk of bringing a new disease into this country mm. has an impact on farming our wildlife farming, our cattle farming, because even any cloven-hooved animal could be at risk. So if they had, a, it's tragic for these eight individual animals, but the the tragedy of if you do introduce a new disease into the country would be far greater. So we, unfortunately, this decision had to be made. The problem mm. that we then encountered is that wildlife veterinarians refused to assist these animals or to destroy these animals because they took offence yeah. to the fact that these animals had to be destroyed. And we found this very disappointing because these vets weren't even prepared to look at the animals. So, you know, we they hadn't seen what state exactly. they were in, the fact that they were dehydrated and exactly. collapsing. So it wasn't just the fact that they had to be destroyed, which it obviously will be an ethical, an ethical affront to some veterinarians. But these animals needed assistance. And we and we were left with the situation of no one would assist us because also they're wild animals. You can't just open a box and take it out. Yeah. So that led to unnecessary, further unnecessary delays, which further compounded the animals suffering. And it was just it's a really horrible thing. And it's completely unnecessary in this day and age. This is not the first time animals are transported in internationally. Mm. So the people involved should have known better and this should never ever have happened. Who are the people involved? Who's who's gone wrong here? That's what we're currently investigating. I do, from what we are um, discovering so far, it does look like a lot of blame rests on the Johannesburg Zoo and this private individual. The private individual does have known links to the hunting industry and actually these animals were supposed to, the Sitatunga, some were supposed to go to the zoo by the looks of things and some were supposed to go to this individual who lives in Kuruman. Sitatunga are water species. Yes. They're actually swimming antelope. There's no water for these There's animals no water in Kuruman. Also, it was another long, arduous exactly. trip that would have been done by road, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, okay, so we've got a lot of animals being transported either into South Africa or around South Africa and just being treated really badly. Um, obviously, what springs straight to mind is the story this week of um, the horrific incident of a whole lot of people spotting these two giraffe being transported on the highway to Pretoria near Gasfontein. Um, a lot of people sending in pictures saying, isn't this amazing, I've spotted two giraffe, and a few seconds later, um, one of the giraffe had hit their head on uh, while undergoing, undergoing one of the bridges um, and died after that. But that's not where it ends. It's now emerged that a second giraffe has died. This giraffe was allegedly being captured at the Mayersdal Eco Estate. This is the Eco Estate that was involved with transporting these two other giraffe. Um, it's emerged that this animal died during the capturing process and was probably supposed to be on the same crate um, being transported with the other two. So, Ainsley, what happened here? Um, along with our colleagues at Twani SPCA, we're investigating, obviously, the death of the giraffe because we do strongly believe that there, we are going to be able to lay charges of animal cruelty against all those involved. Now it's come to light that there was, as you say, there was a second giraffe that died during the capture. So it's just looking more and more like these people that did the capture were, I'm sorry to use a common term, but cowboys. You yeah. know, um, The SABS standard clearly states um, guidelines to prevent this sort of thing happening. The, tra- the crate that they use to transport those animals should only be 
be used in the bush. It's called a recovery crate, and that's what you load the giraffe in and you transfer them into a completely sealed truck. I mean, it, those those poor giraffe just went through such unnecessary suffering. If you think of when you're driving on the highway and a stone hits your windscreen mm. and those giraffes' entire neck and head were exposed on a highway, it's absolutely ridiculous. And now the fact that there's another giraffe that died during the capture process also has just got us very, very concerned yeah. and we are investigating it. Um, but, you know, again – Wildlife has been captured and move, moved around this country for years. It's not new. These people should know better. They're making a lot of money doing something like this, and they should know better. Yes, there's always a risk that animals will die under anesthetic and during game capture operations, but this just sounds very, very fishy. And it's all happening in one week. I mean, you guys must be like CSI back there with all your investigations. How do you keep up with all of this? I mean, I can hear that you want tough cookie. You, you don't take trouble. <laughs> I'm not, I, I can't. <laughs> and, and dealing with stories like this and issues like this can really be quite heartbreaking. I mean, um, this has affected a lot of people in South Africa mm. who aren't even involved as closely as you are. And the, I think the biggest tragedy is this happens with us every week. It's just so good to finally get press coverage so people are aware because the public are so often um, not conned, but the wool's pulled over their eyes by people in the wildlife industry because you want to believe the best. So you want to believe something that, oh, this poor little baby lion's mom really didn't look after it and I'm paying to take a photo with it to help it. But in, in reality, wildlife, if it pays, it stays. So that means that a lot of people are making a lot of money off of wildlife and the public have the right to know both sides of the story and to not just hear what they want to hear. Do you have any good news stories for us while we, while we let this all sink in and before we um, tackle another quite sad story which happened yesterday, which you also know about? What, what is, what is good that's going on at the moment in terms of wildlife, um, in South Africa? The good thing is that public, the public are finally, I say evolving, they're finally realizing that some uses of wildlife is actually unacceptable and they will refuse to support that. So the use of wild animals in circuses, for example, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's archaic. It is a base form of cruelty for these animals. And people are starting to realize, actually, I don't want to be involved in this, so they refuse to support that. So that's mm. the biggest thing. And if people can just look at what they're paying to support. And also, you know, our wildlife has a very t- difficult time in this country and across the world because their habitats are shrinking, because human population is growing, and you find a lot of wildlife that has to live on the fringe of urban um, and built-up areas. And sometimes some of them were able to help them survive. I think one of the ones that stands out is Juno, the brown hyena that was caught last year in Begari. Oh, right. It was, yeah. I think I saw him running through my backyard. Yes. I live right there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're so grateful that we were able to get to her in time and help um, – capture her mm. and she actually went through a rehabilitation um, program actually with the help of Johannesburg Zoo and the veterinarians there and she was actually returned to the wild so that's one happy really story good, yeah. and it was helped by a lot of people on yes. social media and reporting and taking yeah. photos and, and luckily no one harmed her which sometimes can happen when people are scared yeah. well something um, tragic that happened just yesterday or actually it happened on Monday but uh, we heard about it yesterday was um, thousands of chickens who died in a, a car accident or a truck accident um, in the northwest near Rustenburg. So the, the truck was carrying about 13,600 chickens when the accident occurred, um, and the SPCA was obviously called in to the accident scene. Um, what happened there? Um, as I said, we first were made aware of the call and we sent out an emergency response team because the most important thing um, with these accidents is that we need to be there to ensure that any injured animals are destroyed humanely. Mm. Unfortunately, with your production animals, your um, food type animals, they're 
their commodity is their meat, their meat source. So mm. we need to be there to make sure that these animals are not left to suffer and that any injured animals are humanely destroyed immediately and any surviving animals are treated humanely and transported humanely mm. from the accident scene. So our staff, we sent out a team of nine staff and they, um, along with the Rustenberg SPCA and Freerenting SPCA, they were there until 4 a.m. Sorting through these yeah. poor animals. And was this um, another case of negligence or was it just an accident? It looks like it was just an accident. Mm. Obviously, there is concerns regarding um, the stocking densities that some of these animals are transported. But our Farm Animal Protection Unit is um, thoroughly investigating this to make sure that there are no contraventions. And then something where humans were not involved at all. Um, and actually something quite strange that doesn't happen that often. Um, the story out of Zambia uh, at least 52 Cape Buffalo in a herd crossing a river in, in Zambia's largest game reserve, um, that's in Kafue National Park. They were killed in a stampede. Now, obviously, we know buffalo do stampede naturally, um, but here, I mean, 52 of them were were they were run over by their own kind. Um, and is this something that's unusual? It definitely does sound unusual. Unfortunately, without knowing the cause of what brought about the stampede, um, you can never really know what happened. But generally, the animals, I would say there was a, a mitigating factor, something that scared them or forced mm. them to stampede. So, um, Okay, well, we'll watch control. that story. Maybe we'll find out more um, next week. Let's move on to our Help a Horny Friend section. And uh, it's our last segment with Colin Bell. Um, for the last and latest bit in rhino poaching, specifically in South Africa, um, remember, I did visit him at his home in, in Hart Bay. He's a wildlife specialist and a rhino conservation specialist, specialist. And, you know, as we stand at the moment, we know we're in trouble with rhinos. We know that rhinos will become extinct during our lifetime. And I asked Colin in a last desperate attempt what we could do. What can people do? That's probably the way we do that. First of all, South Africa's got to ban and trade. So we're going to put as much pressure on the South African government to abandon its policy of trade. Even Can if we, we could do this trade. with, with um, just every signing petitions and, and you know, like that. Every time somebody, a pro-trader, writes in the newspaper, we're going to write back. We've got to make sure that the South African population is sensitized that trade cannot work. And even if it did work, we don't have the time to put the processes in places to allow it to work. So first of all, we've got to get on the same side of the table. Mm. That's the most important. Second thing, we've got to start using technology. You know, a lot of our fences uh, around Kruger and that aren't fences. You can literally hop over a branch and um, there's huge hundreds of kilometers of Mozambique. There's no fence. We're going to start using technology. There's some fantastic technology around, which is developed for the American military, mainly in Afghanistan, where we can position these kind of vehicles um, along the edge of Kruger Park. Uh, We need about 16 of them. And they can look into Kruger Park and 12 kilometers away they can see three people coming. And they can work out if they're male or female. And if they are males and, uh, oh, hang on, it's got a pen knife. Okay, let's go. Oh, it's got a panga. But this guy's got an AK-47. You can tell the difference between an AK-47 and a 458 at 12 kilometers. So if you know three people are coming and they've got 458s and you send a SWAT team out and you intercept them. So the technology is there. So we've got to get technology with us. So that's a huge, huge issue. I mean, we raised a whole lot of money from the Dutch lottery for this whole thing to go and inject a rhino dye into um, into the horn, but there's scientific papers just coming out now saying it's not really working uh, and it's not the solution. Mm-hmm. So it's getting on the same side of the table, using technology, getting taking the judicial 
discretion away from judges, rewarding the uh, informants, yeah. bringing communities on side. We've got to change the whole business model. And one of the biggest suggestions, which I've got to counter the whole issue, one of the best arguments that the pro-traders have got is to say, well, use the funds to bolster conservation. That's a great argument. But there's other ways to raise money. I mean, right now in South Africa, we've got a 1% tourism marketing levy added on to most hotel bills. And so you just look at the very bottom of your bill for participating hotel. You see 1% voluntary levy. And that raises 100 million rand a year for South Africa to go and market overseas. A great system. And it's called the Tomsa levy. So the collection mechanism is in place. Now imagine if we actually just went from 1% to 2%. And immediately in the first year, we'd have 100 million. But because people would know that would be going to conservation, I think we'd get a lot more money. I reckon, and, and also a lot of people don't belong to the Thompson Levy. If people knew that there was a very valid cause, I reckon we'd get two, 300 million rand a year, which we can then use to go and do all the things we need to do. Pay off the informers, go and have real strategy, buy equipment, and all these different things. We can raise good money and the collection cost is zero because the collection system is already in place. If we had that in place, so we had funds for conservation, we had money going to communities around the parks because we really are in situations here where the communities next to our parks are not getting the benefits from the parks. So we have to change our structures. But most important, we have to get the rhino people around the table and be on the same side. And at the moment, the pro-trade lobby is the cause of all our problems. That's Colin Bell, uh, rhino conservation expert, and the last of our series of interviews with him, and uh, it's been really great. He's, he's, he's got some really good ideas, and Ainsley, I'd like to ask your opinion on those, but before we get to that, um, one way that you really can help a horny friend is exclusively right here on Heavy Petting. You can win a TW Steel Rhino Rage watch worth 6,000 Rand. Now, TW Steel oversized watch brand partnered with Rhino Action Group Effort, that's Rage, to support the fight against rhino poaching in South Africa with the sale of special edition timepieces. The watch in steel brand has produced a four model collection based on its popular canteen style timepieces, incorporating the Rage logo, which is, um, there's also one on the back of the watch, which has been emblazoned into the watch, and sold exclusively through a dedicated web store with retail proceeds donated directly to Rage. Now, if you want to know where your proceeds would be going to exactly, well, Rage was set up to assist the fight against the illegal rhino poaching scourge and is specifically designed to be a safe conduit for public contributions to this cause. So Rage's Committee of Volunteer Experts, that's ecologists, game reserve owners, members of government, media professionals, economists, they collectively decide where these contributions can be best used. And then KPMG ensures that the process of transferring the funds is carried out correctly. Uh, we would have liked to have spoken to Gary Hopkins, who's the National Sales Manager for Luxco, that's TW Steel's South African distribution partner. Um, and I think that you'll know that, uh, Gary, hi, can you hear me? Dan, how are you? Hi, good, thank you. Um, Gary, I wanted to ask, how does TW still feel about being part of this campaign? Dan, yeah, we're we absolutely thrilled. We've been part of the campaign now for for over a year, and this was an initiative that came out of South Africa. And um, yes, it's, it's been a it's been a, a success, and we we're really thrilled to be a part of um, the conservation side. 
Okay, so how does a person, because we're, we're going to be giving away one of these beautiful watches, but if they're not lucky enough, how can we purchase one of these watches? Um, where do we go to? And how much of the spend goes to Rage? Yeah, no, I think the, the major thing is also the awareness and just driving the awareness levels behind the, the rhino and the conservation side. And, you know, everybody's doing their, their little bit towards conserving and um, and, and putting their, their, their hearts and their their hands in their pockets and, and donating what they can. And mm. um, for, for us, it's, it's a two-part project. So we we have an internet-based sale, which is done um, at twsteel.rhinorage.co.za. Okay. Um, and we also have certain retailers that are keeping the, the collections within within their store. Okay, great. Um, and then I believe you can also go to ebucks, um, ebucks.com, and you can use your ebucks on the watch as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, thousands and thousands of South Africans have unused ebucks, so you can purchase the watch through ebucks and using your ebucks through the ebucks store. And either way, 50% of all proceeds on the purchase of this watch go to the fight for the rhino, am I correct? Yes, absolutely. So we, we've got four executions within the range. There's two, two ladies models with stones and uh, two very brash-looking gent models, which are fantastic and oversized. And they range from about 6,500 rand, and 50% of the proceeds of each one of the, the sales will go through to Rage for, for Save the Rhino. Thanks, Gary. That's Gary Hopkins, National Sales Manager for Luxco. That's TW Steel, South African distribution partner. Very, very glad to have been given one of these beautiful watches um, to give away to you. It's your chance to win this powerful symbol of protecting the environment. All you need to do is email me. That's Leanne, L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N, at cliffcentral.com with the answer to the following question. What percentage of proceeds from buying a TW Steel Rhino Rage watch goes to the fight for the rhino? If you're stuck and if you want to purchase a watch, you can go to twsteelrhinorage.co.za. Um, I've also put the information up on my Facebook page and Twitter, so if you'd like to take a look, you can take a look there. So um, as mentioned um, in studio at the moment, I have Ainsley Hay, who's the manager of the NSPCA's Wildlife Protection Unit. Ainsley, we spoke a little bit earlier to Colin Bell on um, rhino conservation. Um, I noticed that you, you seem to enjoy the interview and possibly agree with him quite a bit on, on some of his stances? Definitely. It was a fantastic interview. Um, the problem that we have is generally all that you hear in this country is the pro-trade lobbyists. And I will state without a doubt in my mind, if South Africa were to legalize the trade in rhino horn, it will not solve the poaching crisis. Not only will it um, create a more of a demand for now a legal pro, uh, um Hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a legal product, that's product, the word. Um, it'll also reduce some of the stigma, um, and it's been proven with all other models. If you look at the ivory trade, um, your snakeskin trade, if you legalize trade, it will cause more, more illegal laundering of goods as well. So also from a welfare side, we've got huge concerns because mm. if you legalize trade, it means we start farming with rhinos. Mm. So we farm with crocodiles, we farm with ostriches, we farm with lions nowadays and with intensive farming of animals you get extreme animal welfare concerns and cruelty because now you need to decrease your costs and increase your profits so these animals get pumped with antibiotics they get kept in very small enclosures they have their young are removed very young to bring the females into estrus to make them um cycle sooner so they can produce more so it's it's a it's a welfare disaster and me uh, i may live with my head in the clouds but i want my wild animals in the wild mm. I think a lot of us agree with you. And uh, 
I'm, I'm just really grateful that there are people like you taking control of this. You know, we read these stories and we think, but who's going to help? And I think it's you. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying our hardest. As long as someone's trying, we're happy. So thank you. And thank you, thank you very much, Ainsley, for joining us in studio today. Yeah, thank you. Um, sure. A lot of stuff to have spoken about. Um, a lot of stuff going on at the moment. So we won't keep you from your work. Get back to work mm-hmm. and do the right stuff. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> It's um, Ainsley, ha- Ainsley Hay, who is the NSPCA's Wildlife Protection Unit Manager. Um, moving on to something else conservational, um, that is the Hank Chalmers interview, which I've been um, carrying out. Um, that's all about the um, beautiful place at Spear, which has wine, wine, um, animal conservation and wine and hawks and uh, eagles. And it's a, a big conservation area that's uh, been sponsored by Spear in the area. And I spoke to Hank about some of the uh, things going on then. This is the latest that he had to say. Eagle Encounters has now been going for about, I think we call it about 14 years. The first 10 years, the African aerial, we probably got in about two. Now we get about five to ten a year coming through. Now it's a very, very clever species. It, um, it lives on squirrels, baby eggs, baby birds, lizards, insects, got a huge range of food. Big looking birds, so your predators tend to drop a bit. Um, we've got all these exotic trees, we've got place to breed. Our weather's not that good for us, but for him, he seems to be right with it. And they are exploding. They are doing really, really well. And it's a species that can explode, because it will never really harm nature, you know, so we can have a lot of them. Um, we have a lot of call-outs in breeding season, because the babies sit in the tree and they wail. They scream for parents for food. So straight away, what we have is everybody phoning us and saying, there's this poor baby stuck in the tree. Yeah. Don't worry, it's a, the other name is a gymnogen. It's a baby yeah. gymnogen. He's always moaning at mom for food. Don't worry, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so we get that part of it. Um, okay, so that's conservation conversation out the way. Time to get on to some really fun stuff. Um, we've been looking at the most popular dog breeds in South Africa. Time for doggy style. Um, the 10th most popular dog breed that we've been looking at is the Pomeranian. In South Africa, number nine is the Beagle. In eighth place, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Seventh is the Miniature Schnauzer. And last week, we revealed the sixth most popular breed, the Bull Terrier. Quite a controversial breed, but nonetheless, um, I think we dispelled lots of those fears. This week, it's the Golden Retriever. Not controversial at all. And the fifth most popular in South Africa. Here is what Animal Planet's Dogs 101 says about them. Could this be the perfect family pet? Well, considering that they're one of the lowest ranking barkers and they don't have bad breath, that's a pretty good start. And what's this about an egg? They have what's called a soft mouth. Take the egg. Good boy. I've actually seen these dogs pick up two or three raw eggs in their mouth at a time without breaking them. Perfect egg. People might be surprised that golden retrievers can be real clowns. So you may discover that they've swiped your wallet and have hidden it somewhere. Often referred to simply as the golden. The golden retriever is one of the most beloved dogs. And it's always ranked high among the most popular breeds. Golden retrievers are right at the top as far as a pet goes. Very versatile. They are one of the top pets that are welcomed into homes today. Good job! And there happens to be a guy you can thank for this happy, dutiful pooch. And he's got a funny name. 
Lord Tweedmouth, or if you prefer his given name, Sir Dudley Majorabanks. An avid hunter, Lord Tweedmouth lived near the banks of the Loch Ness, and it was there where he developed a dog in the 1860s with a love for the water and a desire to retrieve. The American Kennel Club registered the Golden in 1925, and the breed flourished through the 30s and 40s and has never lost its popularity. And if obedience is your thing, look no further. They're rocking the good behavior hardware. Unique about the Golden Retriever is they were the first ever AKC obedience trial champion. That's like Miss Manners for dogs, an organization recognizing an excellent working relationship with their owners. Stop. Guys. You don't have to bother saying fetch to these guys. Bred as hunters to retrieve fowl from water and Boy. land, they'll run tirelessly all day. Come on, Bravo. Good boy. No. Goldens are a big dog, measuring around 22 inches in height and an average weight of 65 pounds. They sport a dense, water-repellent coat with a good undercoat and rich shades of golden coloring. A puppy's coat is almost always lighter than what it will be when it's an adult. Looking at a puppy's ears are a good indication of what color it will be when it grows up. These dogs love to chew. Yep, it's that soft mouth again, bred to carry waterfowl during the hunt. But sometimes it goes a little too far. Some bad reviews are taking a bite out of their reputation. Aggression is now a feature in some lines. Not the whole breed, but you've got to watch out for it. And Golden's actually a number three on the National Bite Parade in what is an epidemic of bites these days. Who's number one and number two? The German Shepherds at one, the Chow Chow at two. And like its retriever alum, the Labrador, it has webbed feet to aid in all that paddling it loves to do. But with all that fetching and running, the Golden Retriever is prone to hip dysplasia, a joint disorder common to many large breeds. It's caused by a loss of cartilage due to an abnormal formation in the hip. It can be quite painful and requires proper medical attention. Consult with your vet if your Golden shows signs of discomfort. Its good nature and compatibility make it a pet everyone can love. Golden Retrievers are the quintessential family dog. They are so willing to work for the people they're bonded with. They're just so ready to please their families. The working ability that has made the Golden Retriever such a useful hunting companion also makes him an ideal guide, search and rescue, and service dog. They've really found a place in America as service dogs. They bond very closely to people, so golden retrievers are used as guide dogs for the blind, as support dogs for people with mobility issues. For environment, Goldens are versatile, but it's a bigger dog that requires activity. I think the nice thing about a Golden Retriever is they're going to adapt to anywhere. They'd be fine in an apartment as long as they got worked. You could put them on a farm. They'd have a blast. Hip dysplasia is common, and if not properly exercised, these guys can pack on the pounds. There's also been a problem with cancer in the breed. Lymphosarcoma is a very common cancer in Golden Retrievers, so you want to make sure that you get a good line. Grooming-wise, you'll have to pay attention to their coat. Good job. Golden should be groomed regularly. You know, they need to be 
brushed. They need to get all the knots taken out uh, with a slicker brush. Golden Retrievers are extremely easy to train. They are more biddable than some other breeds, which means they're more eager to please. There's probably not a better pet for the entire family. But remember, it can be mouthy and a biter, so train them early to not bite. This is not a guard dog, unless the intruder hates getting licked. Every Golden has its own unique personality and traits. They just have a zest for life no matter what they do. They're just amazing dogs. So, uh, yes, now time to move on to what's new, Pussycat. And I'll tell you exactly what's new, and that's that it's World Cat Day 2014 on this Friday, Friday the 8th of August. And here on Heavy Petting, we're celebrating the odd, amusing things that our cats do. Uh, perhaps your cat's like mine, Sheba, who's in the habit of licking plastic. We covered that last week. Um, how does your feline wake you up? Does, does your your cat, like my Sheba, again, lie in, in basking in the sun in, in basins in the bathroom or getting into the hamster cage to play with the hamster? Well, go to Leanne Mull on Facebook or Twitter and leave your comment. And um, if you're lucky enough to have captured your cat's special talents on camera in either photos or videos, we want to see them, please. So please post them up there as well. Um, if your Patches and Felix are super lazy and just like to sit, well, we'll celebrate them too. Any pictures welcome as we celebrate World Cat Day 2014. That's this Friday. And then we'll share all of your submissions on Heavy Petting next week. Just to note that if you do want to call us on Heavy Petting, the number is 0861-555-189. And uh, remember that you can message straight to the studio as well on WeChat on the Cliff Central channel. Um, yes, you can also email me. That's Leanne, L-E-I-G-H. ANN at cliffcentral.com. Just something that we wanted to reiterate. Remember that Animals in Distress has partnered with the Laser Boutique on Project Pedicure. That's a fundraising um, initiative for horseshoes, which for horses who work in the Tembisa coal yard, taking coal to um, underprivileged communities. So if you book a Project Pedicure at the Laser Boutique, a percentage will be donated to Animals in Distress or horseshoeing, and you'll also receive a laser voucher based, uh, or rather valued, at 550 rand as a thank you for your support. Now, if you can't get to a laser boutique branch right now, you can make a direct contribution to Animals in Distress, or SED, for Project Pedicure, to the Western Shoeing Store. Now, that costs 85 rand to shoe a horse, and that's for all four shoes. So if you think about it, if you'd like to shoe one horse, you can uh, put in 85 rand. If you email your proof of payment and uh, also your contact details to admin at thelaserboutique.co.za. The Laser Boutique will give you a gift voucher with 550 rand for um, laser therapy to thank you for your support of the project. I'll uh, put all those banking details up onto my social media pages if you want to take a look there. And now it's time for animals and celebrities. In fact, I like to call them pets and their celebrities. Um, Quite an interesting thing that I found was that a whole lot of animals and types of animals are named after celebrities. This from Revision 3. Scientists recently found a new species of water mite 70 meters below the surface on a coral reef near Puerto Rico. And they did what anyone would do when finding a new species. They named it after Jennifer Lopez. Or Jenny from the block, as I call her, because I also lived on the block. I mean, a block. Fine, it was a cul-de-sac, but the Literatura Lopez mite, or whatever, 
isn't the only creature named after a celebrity. Anopithalamus hitleri. A German entomologist discovered a new blind cave beetle while living in Slovenia in 1933 and named it after the then German chancellor, Adolf Hitler. The entomologist meant it as a tribute, but I'd hate to be the guy who told Hitler that it was a blind cave beetle. If we didn't care about copyright infringement, this would be where we would put in our own version of that angry Hitler video. And man, gosh, it would have been so funny. Apostacus Angelina Jolie. An Auburn University professor named a venomous trapdoor spider found in California after actress Angelina Jolie. Weirdest part is that the spider also wore a vial of Billy Bob Thornton's blood around its neck for a while. Look that one up, kids. Totally happened. Rostalis gatesii. A flower fly that is only found in Costa Rican cloud forests was named after Microsoft founder Bill Gates. Another flower fly discovered in a similar area was named after Paul Allen. That means Trace Dominguez is a cool billion dollars away from having a flower fly named after him, right? Right? Woohoo! Scaptia Beyoncé, a horsefly from northeast Queensland, Australia, was discovered in 1981 but not scientifically named until 2011. It was named after Beyoncé because it has a gold butt and is the all-time diva of flies. Also, its sister, Scaptia Solangia, keeps trying to bite Jay-Z's face. And there are so, so many more. Sea slugs named after Nelson Mandela, an archosaur named after Georgia O'Keeffe, a parasite named after Bob Marley, and a future rad animal named after me. Right? Thanks in advance, scientists. Okay, enough about science and more about video games. Check out our friends over at Rev3 Games. They put out great videos every week that delve deep into the world of all things video games. And for more celebrity fun, check out our episode on Celebrity Inventions, starring Katie Wayne. Thanks for watching. Here's one celebrity who's done something good this week for animals. Um, it's Justin Bieber. Now, don't give him too much credit. Not just yet. Um, a man in Russia was on his way to a fishing spot when he got the scare of his life and was attacked by a big brown bear. As the bear ferociously clawed at Igor Vorostpistein, his cell phone rang and Justin Bieber's voice came through the device. His ringtone was set to baby. Apparently, the bear hated the song and was so put off that he ran off, sparing Vorosta Bateston's life. And that's not what we want to believe, but wildlife experts believe that it was the unexpected nature of the ringtone that scared off the bear. Whatever the case is, the 42-year-old suffered severe bruises to his chest and face and cuts on his neck. Fishermen found him after the attack and used his famous Bieber phone to summon help. I think what I really want to know is what a 42-year-old Russian dude had, <laughs> why he had baby by Justin Bieber set as his ringtone. Perhaps it was his granddaughter who put it on for him. Um, something that I've been meaning to get to for quite a while. Um, this is our discoveries segment now. A freakishly large fly which could cover half your face, um, or in fact some people's whole faces, has been discovered in China it's a giant Dobson fly discovered in southwest China and has set a record for the largest water-dwelling bug on Earth. Listen to this. China is now proud to present the world's largest aquatic insect. Strap a couple to your heels, you can zoom around like mercury. Researchers at the Insect Museum of West China recently went on an expedition to find some really impressive bugs. And lo and behold, 
they found one. This massive Dobson fly of the order Megaloptera is indeed pretty impressive, sporting a wingspan of over eight inches and a pair of mandibles that look like they could snap the head off a chipmunk. They're claiming that this is the largest aquatic insect currently residing on planet Earth. And given that it's about the size of a parakeet, I'm inclined to believe them. So congratulations, giant Chinese Dobson fly. I'd throw you a party, but I don't know any caterers that have live deer. Time for some facts and features. And shark attacks in South Africa are under the spotlight. Shark attack prevention in particular um, I chatted last week to Chris Fellows, who's a world-renowned shark photographer. And in fact, I'll play you some parts of those interviews from next week on uh, Wednesday, the same time, 10 until 11 here on Heavy Petting. Um, South Africa's beaches, as we know, have a really dedicated surfing fraternity, despite being home to some of the deadliest beaches in the world. Um, False Bay, of course, is the scene to the latest attack involving a surfer, Matthew Simmers, Smithers, rather. He's a 20-year-old UCT student from Durban, and um, he's uh, been attacked by a shark. It was there was there was a little bit of controversy because in the area um, it took place in Musenberg, actually, um, on Boys Drive up the mountain. They have what they call shark spotters, and shark spotters are meant to sound the alarm when they see a shark coming in. I mean, this was a four-meter shark. He would have been quite easily spotted. Um, however, no alarm was sounded until after he was attacked. Um, witnesses say that his body was flung up into the air by about three or four meters. Um, and when he came down again, that's when the shark bit. Um, luckily, he's okay. He has suffered some serious bites to his legs, but he was brought ashore and rescued. Um, and uh, the yeah, investigations are now continuing into why there were no shark spotters, in fact, at their posts up on Boys Drive. But uh, this is something that's been worrying a lot of people lately, especially in South Africa, heading towards our summer surfing season. Um, And I found something on the latest shark repelling invention. It's fake kelp, which could prevent shark attacks. It's basically a buoy, or in America, as they call them, buoys, um, which are shark sensing. They have fake kelp on them and are surrounded by a fake kelp forest that is actually a high-tech shark barrier, and this could soon be deployed at beaches to help prevent shark attacks. Take a listen to this. What if I told you we could stop shark attacks forever? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Alex Farnham. This is Animalist News. Maybe sharks aren't as scary as you think. I mean, only like five people die each year from them. Every single summer, shark attacks make headlines and scare the crap out of people. Luckily, scientists have been busy trying to create a repellent to keep swimmers safe without having to hurt or kill sharks. Yes, this is what I've been saying for years. Little did I know, this isn't the first time they've tried to make shark repellent. The first anti-shark spray was created during World War II to protect seamen and pilots who fell into the water during combat. Because these guys were usually injured and bleeding, sharks would find them before rescuers could. Now, most of these people survived, but I'd imagine that swimming from a shark is a lot more difficult when you have broken bones. Soon, a group of American scientists created a small chemical disc that could be kept within a life vest. When the disc was exposed to water, shark-repelling chemicals created a shield around the swimmer. So what exactly disgusts a shark? 
Well, other dead sharks. Scientists mimicked the scent by using copper acetate. And as you can imagine, it wasn't super successful. A few decades later, a tour guide in Australia found out what shook sharks all night long. As it turns out, these fish like to jam out, of course to their favorite band, ACDC. When the tour guide played Back in Black using underwater speakers, sharks swam up and rubbed their faces on the source of music. When the song finished and Led Zeppelin began to play, they all left and went about the rest of their day. So what does this tell us besides the fact that sharks have a great taste in music? Maybe they're attracted to vibrations or certain music notes although it's probably impractical to have constant underwater concerts. The newest and probably most reasonable repellent is shark-sensing buoy fake kelp force combo. According to scientists, sharks and rays all have electro-sensing systems, while other marine animals don't. By placing magnets within the barrier, researchers believe that the electronic field will overload the system and urge sharks to stay away. And if it works, it's a win-win situation for everyone. Sharks get to have a nice open environment and humans will be much safer in the ocean. So if someone was trying to repel you, what would work? Let me know in the comments below. Check out these other videos over here. Share this with your friends and I'll see you here in Mammals next time. As we continue facts and features on heavy petting here on Cliff Central, occasionally deep in the bliss of a fourth or fifth size of pizza or an entire pizza or two, you might remark, I could eat pizza for the rest of my life. But most of us aren't dedicated enough to forego the bounty of modern cuisine um, and also the fact that we might crave other foods. Well, most wild animals are the same as us. They opt for a buffet-style approach. I mean, after all, being picky about what you eat could mean starvation in the wild. But there are a few animals who are able to make the equivalent of the pizza pledge. Here are a few of them. Number one, egg-eating snakes. These snakes eat only amniotic eggs, which have a shell and a number of embryonic membranes. These snakes um, have uh, large, sharp enough um, bones, they're called hypotheses, to penetrate these egg shells. And after the snake cracks the shell, the yolk proceeds out onto the stomach and the snake regurgitates the shell. There are 11 kinds of egg-eating snakes in Africa and only one really rare species found in India. Another animal that sticks to one food type is koalas. The vast majority of a koala's diet consists of the leaves from the eucalyptus plant. Then you get the snail kite. A kite is a kind of bird. And a snail kite is a kind of bird that eats apples exclusively. Then you get giant pandas. Some 99% of a giant panda's diet is comprised of the leaves, shoots and stems of a bamboo. Um, Like eucalyptus, bamboo doesn't have a lot of nutritional value, so pandas have to eat 26 to 83 pounds of the tough fibrous plant every single day. Then you've got monarch, uh, monarch caterpillars. Of course, we know about monarch butterflies and they eat nectar. But as caterpillars, they only eat the leaves of the toxic milkweed plant, which makes the caterpillars and the adult butterflies poisonous to animals. Black-footed ferrets, these are endangered, and they live in the western United States, and they eat mostly prairie dogs, more than a 100 a year. They hunt them in their burrows. Uh, pen-tailed three, shoo- three shrews, try and say that when you've had a few. Oh, wait, I have. Um, the pen-tailed three shrew of Thailand and Indonesia only drinks, wait for it, the naturally fermented nectar of the Burton palm, which has an alcohol content, told you, of 3.8%. That's the equivalent of a can of light beer. 
So that wraps it up for today for heavy petting. Don't forget that we have a really cool competition underway. Um, exclusively here on Heavy Pacing, you can win a TW Steel Rhino Rage watch that's worth 6,000 Rand. This uh, oversized watch brand, remember they are really quite chunky. If you're into that kind of thing, I think they look stunning. You've got ladies' and men's brands um, are available for you to win. Um, if you do want to buy a watch, you can do so online at twsteelrhinorage.co.za. What's really cool is that 50% of the proceeds of this watch, which are valued from about 6,000 to 6,500 rand upwards, um, goes to exclusively um, helping rhinos. Now, Rage was actually set up to assist the fight against illegal rhino poaching, and it was specifically designed to be a safe conduit for public contributions to this cause. So no need to worry about where exactly your money is going to. The way you can win it, all you need to do is email me, Leanne at cliffcentral.com. That's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N at cliffcentral.com with the answer to the following question. What percentage of proceeds from buying a TW Steel Rhino Rage watch goes to the fight for the rhino? And if you're stuck, check out that website again, twsteelrhinorage.co.za. I think it's time we go to a song. When we come back, I'll tell you what's up next week.
heavy petting here in Cliff Central. Um, I was going to do something now, but I think I might throw our producer out completely and play that last clip if it's still available. Um, okay, so it's it's about the volunteer army, which is hunting Florida's invasive pythons. This army of people, imagine being part of an army like this, hunting pythons in the marsh. Um, I mean, finding an invasive python in the wild is difficult enough. Um, and then you still have an army of people who are helping with this. Let's take a listen to this clip and hear what they're up to. Probably one of the worst animals to have make it into a natural area in this in this region. The Burmese python uh, negatively impacted the Everglades. So these pythons have been released into this habitat unintentionally, of course, and without knowledge of the consequences, and they proliferate. We've seen entire deer inside a snake. We've seen a struggle between a large alligator and a large snake. All of a sudden you have this apex predator out in, in, in your system threatening your native species. So it's a big problem. And they're incredibly difficult to detect. I mean, they can hide in not very much cover at all. That's 100,000 animals spread over 3 million acres, plus some other undeveloped land, you know, agricultural land. Are there 100,000? Probably not. There's probably less than that, but we, we, just, we just don't know. My name is Jeffrey Fobb. I'm a captain with Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. Uh, my interest with snakes began when I was very, very young, and these are animals that people didn't like, and I kind of wondered why, because my mother's afraid I don't, but I'm not. Come on, buddy. Yeah, he'll come down. He's got very little choice. Um, I work with Florida Fish and Wildlife and the Nature Conservancy teaching the Python Patrol. You can see why it's difficult to catch them. Yeah. They, they'll get into cover like this and disappear. We just won't, we won't see them. No, he wants to find a hole like that. Oh, Whoop, come here, buddy. But he, he had him headed straight for it. He felt that cold air coming out of there. The Python Patrol program is a training program. One of the things that we do is we train natural resource workers or people who are outdoors a lot. It was a big challenge starting to work on this python patrol project because I'm a bird biologist by training. I'm not a snake person. Captain Fobb uh, trained me in a personal training. And uh, Jeffrey Fobb brought a bunch of snakes out, turned them loose in the grass, and everybody had to catch two. I'm going to pin his head. And that's when you get them. So you want to feel what it feels like? Hey, let go, let go, let go. You know, I'm not really a thrill seeker, so I try to do it as methodically as I can and just looking at the way they're behaving. But there's a few spots on him that where you can see just the light shines on him and it's different than the background. Yeah. It's like, where's Waldo? Where are these little shiny bits? So at the periphery of where we know these animals are, uh, we have people who can identify and remove them. We do get calls about pythons that our staff can't always respond to. And that's when we call on our python patrol responders to go out to those calls. Over the last 20 years, we have seen an average decline of 98% in our small mammal population. 98%, that's almost all gone. In the case of rabbits and foxes, 100%. No one's seen a rabbit or a fox in the park for over two years. And we suspect a python is the main cause of that decline. I've been working at Shark Valley Tram Tours for uh, three years, roughly. 
I've caught four in the wild. Uh, first one was about a seven footer, three more at Shark Valley while I was working. Let's just let it get a little tired. People think that you can run them over. They survive a lot of those traffic strikes. Shooting them, if you have to destroy their head to kill them, they're, they're, these animals are tough. You know, we, we try to approach it ethically, as ethically as possible, but there's a lot of uncomfortable questions about are we capturing them humanely if they're just going to be euthanized in the end? And I think we can just say that we don't want to contribute to the suffering of an animal just because it's ultimately going to be, you know, destroyed. And, and but I mean, what's what's the alternative? Do we have any realistic alternatives? Dangerous jobs, dangerous animals. I'm quite happy sitting here in the Cliff Central studio doing heavy petting. Thank you very much. Um, uh, so in a few weeks' time, we'll chat to a pet detective. Her name is Esme Nathanson, and she's with Brad Nathanson Investigations. Um, one of uh, the people working here with us at Cliff Central recently lost his dog, and uh, we even had a message on Cliff Central as well asking what to do if you've lost your dog. Well, this is the woman. Esme Nathanson, she has an entire Facebook page dedicated to finding animals and uh, reuniting them with their owners. They're based in Durban, but they work all over South Africa. So listen out for that, um, not next week, but the next. Next week, though, on Heavy Petting, we've got round number two of our competition to win a TW Steel Rhino Rage watch worth 6,000 rand. Up next, rookies and rock stars with Lubi and Jade.